Hello and welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Banton. Along with me on this journey, revisiting 80s movies, is my co-host, Jason Masek. Hello, Jason. Bill Bant, I don't think you understand. I didn't come to rescue Rambo from you. I came here to rescue you from him. That's right, listeners. We are discussing with spoilers aplenty the 1982 action-adventure movie First Blood, produced by Carlico Pictures and distributed by Orion Pictures. It stars Sylvester Stallone, Brian Dennehy, and Richard Crenna. Directed by Ted Kocheff, this movie is rated R with a running time of 1 hour and 33 minutes. It is based on the 1972 book First Blood by David Morrell. So, what is this movie about? What's on the box? If you grew up in the 1980s and went to your local video store to rent this movie, you would find this description on the back of the VHS box. It is What's on the Box. Take it away, Jason. Giving his toughest performance since Rocky, Sylvester Stallone stars as a larger-than-life super warrior in this gutsy action thriller filmed in the wilds of Western Canada. He plays an ex-Green Beret, a peacetime misfit haunted by memories of Vietnam. Falling foul of an overzealous small-town sheriff, all hell is let loose as he goes on the run. In the life-or-death manhunt that ensues, he will need all his old skills to stay alive and outwit his pursuers, the sheriff, his posse, and more than 200 National Guardsmen. First Blood. First Blood. So that was What's on the Box. Jason, how are we doing? We're doing great, Bill Band. Man, it was great to get back to this movie. I've watched it several times in the past. Couldn't wait to watch it again. Couldn't wait to go back to 1982. Man, let's do it. Let's get into it. All right, let's move on to our earliest memories then. Jason, start us off. Absolutely. Thank you, Bill Band. When First Blood was released in the late October of 1982, young Jason, that's me, had just turned nine years old. Needless to say, I did not see this in the theater. In fact, I would see Rambo First Blood Part 2 before I saw First Blood Part 1. Of course, I knew Stallone. I was a fan of Sylvester Stallone. Before 1982, I was a fan of the Rocky films. I had seen Victory, or Escape to Victory, a few times. And after 1982, I saw Rambo and Rocky IV, and Stallone was simply the man. He began this trend of the muscle-bound action hero. Now, I'm not positive, but I may have even seen Cobra and Over the Top before I finally went back to see First Blood. Rambo 3 was released in 1988 and then was released on cable afterward. I watched that one a ton of times, especially when that scene when he puts the gunpowder and his wound on his side and he lights it up. Classic. I mean, come on, it's the best. Funny enough, I do recall watching Rambo First Blood Part 2 and thinking... Why is it called First Blood Part 2? Wait, there was a Part 1? Well, the sequel is awesome. Why isn't the original talked about more? But I did finally watch First Blood on cable, and I believe my gut reaction was that it was raw. It was personal. It was a smaller story. I do remember a lot of it, according to my earliest memories, but they might be mixed with the later memories. As Again, as I mentioned, I've watched this movie no less than a handful of times over the years. But yes, I remember the images of John J. Rambo as the drifter walking into the small mountain town in the Northwest. And I can't forget the indelible Brian Dennehy and his intimidating presence. 
uh, Rambo's abuse at the police station, the fight on the mountainside and the jump from the cliffside. I always remember Colonel Troutman, played by the great Richard Crenna, talking to the local and state police, continually pumping up the legend of John Rambo and going on about what a badass he is. And of course, the large hunting knife is part of the iconic Rambo image. For example, the knife is to Rambo as the whip is to Indiana Jones. It's the same deal. You get it. And really, Stallone's final monologue is what has impacted me the most since I first saw the film. Because as a kid, I thought this was mostly a gritty action movie about a war vet that was a badass. But the monologue at the end revealed so much more to me. It was surprising as a kid, and I didn't know at all how to process that. And on top of it, I was like, wait, oh, that's the end. Oh, that. Oh, that's how this ends? Okay, that, that's it? All right, okay. Trying to process that as well as a kid. And speaking of which, I remember this. My father flew in Vietnam. He was a pilot. He flew C-130s. And I remember mentioning this movie to him when I was younger, after I finally saw it. And according to my hazy memory... I recall him saying that he didn't really care for it because of how Rambo was being treated, being that he was a U.S. veteran. And that added a whole nother level for me. It was impactful because, again, I obviously did not have that connection to the film, but it opened my eyes to another level to this and gave me a better understanding of what the movie was about. Yeah, I just didn't understand what Sheriff Teasel meant when he said to Rambo in the beginning, you know, wearing that flag on that jacket, looking the way you do, you're asking for trouble around here, friend. But over the years, I came to understand it better. So I always thought this was uh, just a kick-ass movie. I like it for a lot of different reasons, and those are my earliest memories. What about you, Bill Bant? Yeah, for me, this is going to be probably sound like a similar story. I think this happens to any, any movie that came out before 1983. So initially, this was on cable, and I was watching it with my parents, and of course, damn strict bedtime so <laughs> i it. saw the first hour up until rambo is trying to make his way out of the cave and he might have gotten out of the cave and then i had to go to bed so i never saw the last 33 minutes of the movie so of course i had asked my dad the next morning what had happened he told me and i think it wasn't until after i even saw rambo that i finally went back and saw the whole movie from beginning to end but the things that definitely stood out from that first watch was, of course, seeing Rocky being a hitchhiker. So that was being from Philadelphia. Stallone is an icon and everybody loves Rocky out there, as I've mentioned before. Um, the scene when Stallone is stitching himself sure. after he falls out of the tree and just all that blood. And you're just like, holy crap, he's just stitching himself by himself. That was crazy. And then the scene in the cave when he gets attacked by all the rats. <laughs> Those two things stood out the most about the movie overall. It wasn't until after Rambo, I'm pretty sure that I, I finally saw it. And of course, at the time, Rambo was probably my favorite. But this was definitely a movie. The more I watched it, the more I'm like, yeah, this is, I would think, it's the best one of the series. So I only got to see two thirds of the movie initially. I love the fact that you called out the stitching scene as well as the rats, because that totally is what you would remember as a kid. And upon this rewatch for me, even watching that stitching scene is always difficult. We know there's makeup effects involved, but it's like, oh man, Stallone's just such a badass. But when you're watching him stitch up that gaping wound, there's the makeup's great because there's blood flowing from that wound. It's gross. 
Yeah. And every time the stitch, it's just like, bloop, bloop. Yep. it's just dripping, like gushing. And it's yeah. pretty gory. It's like, dang, good stuff, man. All right. You want to move on to initial thoughts? What are your initial thoughts now about First Blood? First Blood. First Blood. I said this to, to Bill Bant offline. Listeners out there, if you recall our summer school episode, it's just one of my favorite impressions. And I always forget the actress's name, who's wonderful. But Bill Bant did the impression of her, the uh, substitute teacher. It's like, is that your blood? <laughs> and so whenever Bill Bant says first blood now, now I think of that line from summer school. Regardless, let's get into it. Initial thoughts of first blood from 1982. Of course, we have to talk about Sylvester Stallone, otherwise known as Sly, among other nicknames. He plays the role of John J. Rambo. And going back, he actually has quite a few smaller roles in films throughout the 70s, leading up to Rocky in 76 and Rocky II in 79. Then in regards to his 80s snapshot, he did both Nighthawks and Victory in 81, both of which we covered on this podcast. Then he does Rocky III, First Blood here in 82, Staying Alive, Rhinestone, Rambo First Blood Part Two, Rocky IV, Cobra, Over the Top, Rambo Three, Lockup, and Tango and Cash. Obviously, he's done a ton since, which you can research. However, in recent years, he is known for the first two Creed films, reprising his role as Rocky Balboa. Uh, he did two more Rambo films, a small role in the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise, and of course, the Expendables franchise, and even more recently, the TV show Tulsa King. Sylvester is 77 years young. And just yesterday, Bill Bant, I saw him on social media, in a reel, doing a workout with Gonna Fly Now in the background. And I got to tell you, man, Sly kicks ass all around. He awesome. still kicks ass. He looks great, and he is making it work. We're all fans. Sly is great in this movie. That's an initial thought. And also, another thought, he's got a tiny waist. My God, the dude has, like, no body fat. You see when he takes off his shirt in this, you're like, where's his waist? What happened to his stomach? There's nothing there. Moving on to one of our other stars. Man, what a presence. Brian Dennehy as Sheriff Will Teasel. What a great character name. His 80s snapshot, he did some TV movies, including one called Pigs vs. Freaks in 1982. Then he's in the movie Split Image. Then this here, First Blood. He did 10 episodes of a show called Star of the Family. All this was in 1982. Other notables from his 80s filmography, Gorky Park, The River Rat, Cocoon, Silverado, one of my favorites, FX, Legal Eagles, Cocoon The Return. He also did plenty of uh, TV episodics in the 80s, such as Cagney and Lacey and Hunter. But he was also in our favorite show, Miami Vice, as the Reverend Bill Bob Proverb in an episode called Amen, Send Money. In season four in 1987, after the 80s, I think he's great in Presumed Innocent, Tommy Boy. He was the voice of Django in Ratatouille. And he goes on to work consistently all the way up to his death, unfortunately, in 2020 at the age of 81. I've always been a fan. Just an overwhelming badass presence, that being Brian Dennehy. So who's Ted Kotcheff, our director? Well, here's some notables. He did North Dallas 40 in 1979. I'd mentioned that Dennehy was in the movie Split Image. Well, he directed that in 82 as well, along with First Blood. He directed Uncommon Valor in 1983, switching channels in 88. Anybody heard of this movie, Weekend at Bernie's? Yeah, he directed that in 1989. And 
Most recently, he had directed a film called Soul of an Artist in 2017, and that's basically where his IMDb filmography ends. The Canadian director is still with us at age 92. Still going. All right, getting into some more initial thoughts. The Jerry Goldsmith score. We've mentioned Jerry Goldsmith as one of our favorite composers on this podcast in the past, and he remains so. And right at the top of this movie, we get the theme. It's a long road. It's pretty perfect for this, and it denotes an actual bittersweet, sad tone. It kind of reveals what's to come a little bit. Uh, or, or maybe the tone of this film, or underlying tone, I should say. We love Jerry Goldsmith. Man, this movie is just one big, awesome action chase movie. I love how it opens with John J. Rambo making a visit to a, a lakeside house, and then he goes to the local town, and there's this sound, the sign, excuse me, over, over the town that says, Gateway to Holiday Land, Welcome to Hope. And Hope is a fictional town in the state of Washington, although this was, stepping on trivia, mainly shot in British Columbia, Canada. Now, here we go, Bill Bant. Why I have a visceral reaction to this kind of movie it's because it's fake tough guys versus the real tough guy. We see so many fake tough guys in everyday life, and we know exactly what they look like and how they act, especially as an exaggerated stereotype and stock character in 80s movies in particular. And let me be clear, I'm not just talking about the stereotypical bad guys, but the fact that they act tough. They're not just bad, not just assholes or thugs. They're frauds and we want to see them get called out for it and nothing was better than seeing the fake tough guys get their asses handed to them by either Stallone Schwarzenegger Van Damme or Seagal because those were the real tough guys with the real training and the real life experience at least according to their characters those were the men we looked up to as boys that were fans of these movies Bill Bant this is actually a smart concept the concept of this film, First Blood, regarding the use of location for the story. This is something I picked up on upon this revisit. In the fiction, we know that John Rambo was clearly in the jungle of Vietnam for some time, and he clearly picked up a few things. Now, some of this could be considered standard survival training he may have received in the Army Special Forces, but here he's positioned as the enemy in the jungle, or mountain forest in this case. And the forest is his backyard where he's quite comfortable, and he uses it to his advantage either for camouflage, to make weapons, booby traps, etc. And the local state troopers just rush in there, having no idea what they're up against. In a way, you could say this is actually a microcosmic metaphor for the Vietnam War itself. Man, I still love this movie. However, the tone upon this revisit felt uneven to me at times. It begins as this quiet, violent drama. It has a very serious tone. The premise is straightforward and the characters are clear. Rambo has a darkness, anger, and sadness behind the eyes that draws you in, and you want to know what drives him. It's great, and it's a testament to Stallone's performance and his presence. Everything in this movie is really clicking for me up to almost exactly the 45-minute mark at which Troutman, Colonel Troutman, first appears. God didn't make Rambo. I made him. As a kid, I loved Colonel Sam Troutman, played by Richard Crenna, because he was on Rambo's side. Rambo now has a friend, a fellow soldier, his commanding officer, that understands his situation, what he's going through. Also, Troutman continually reinforces how badass Rambo is, and it's fun. But today, as an adult watching this, and don't get me wrong, I love Richard Crenna. We've covered him on this podcast. We've praised him on this podcast. But today, for me, this character is a bit much. His dialogue's a little melodramatic. 
Krenna is playing the shit out of it. He's chewing the scenery, as they say, and it comes off a little caricature-y for me. It feels like it changes the tone slightly when he's on screen, either posturing or propping up Rambo. Now, the entertainment of the movie scenario is still very much intact. The chase, the hunt, the most dangerous game or even predator movie scenario as to who's hunting who. But before Troutman shows up, I'm really interested in Rambo, what he's thinking, feeling, and what his motivations are because he's mysterious. And even the smallest, simple bits of dialogue from him are great and give us a glimpse of his internal struggle or desire to be left alone. And we want to know why and want to know more. But when Troutman shows up, he sort of becomes this lobbyist for Rambo and he's selling the idea of Rambo and the tone is more of a stereotypical action movie. Yeah, we get it. Rambo is hardcore, this and that. You're going to need more body bags. Got it. Troutman's there to be Rambo's representative. I would have liked him to have given us more insight as to Rambo's scarred psyche. He does a little bit, but not nearly enough. I think it's a missed opportunity to let the audience in on a deeper level of a clearly traumatized war veteran. It could have been and maybe should have been during the scene at the bar between Troutman and Sheriff Teasel. I don't know. I can't rewrite this movie now. But if there would have been a little bit more of insight as to Rambo's psyche, then the monologue he delivers at the end might not feel such as in stark contrast to the rest of the movie. And don't get me wrong, I actually love the monologue at the end. I know not everyone agrees with that. I love it. I love Stallone's performance throughout and especially during that monologue. But it does feel a little bit as if it's coming slightly out of left field because the tone kind of goes a little bit back and forth. Look, I'm saying that this movie is an attempt to blend the action drama with the action adventure, but the mix is off just a little bit. I'll say this. The movie does make me think about our veterans and the shit they bring back with them after the war ends and the shit that stays with them forever. I know people, as many of us do, that served, and we thank you for your service, the men and women that saw action and still see it and feel it in their mind, heart, and soul as if it were happening today. Let me say this in the end. From an action standpoint, you simply can't go wrong with Sylvester Stallone holding an M60 rifle in one hand and the ammunition belt in the other while blasting away at shit and decimating an entire town. Look, that's what's cool about this type of action movie and our retrospective look on this podcast is that we get to go back to the beginnings of some of these classic franchises. And this was the beginning of an all-time classic action character and movie series that we love and parody and cherish and quote and reenact all of the time. The movie is still fucking rocks, no doubt. And I'll be watching it again and again in the future. Those are my initial thoughts. What about you, Bill Ban? Surprisingly, I would have to agree with you with Richard Crenna as Troutman. Because in that first scene when we meet him, I kept thinking to myself, like, dude, you're putting gas on the flames, making Mm. it sound like he's the ultimate badass. And you're just pissing off the sheriff who now wants to prove your guy's not that great. I'm going to catch and kill him. So get out of my face. And then Troutman just keeps coming back like, well, if you're going to go that route, then expect this. And we we'll just keep pissing off the sheriff. Good point. I'm like, dude, just come in and just say, look, he's a Green Beret. This is what you can expect from him. And just leave it at that. Yeah, it did bother me. It bothered me on, on the rewatch. So when you when you mentioned that, I'm like, OK, I'm not the only one. But I did like his other scenes better but yeah the the opening when you first meet him i think he comes off as kind of pompous and he in a way makes the situation worse as for my initial thoughts man watching this all i could think about was jack reacher and if you don't know who jack reacher is it's uh, based on a book series from lee child amazon prime just finished their second season of reacher and tom cruise did two movies based on this 
Jack Reacher character. And I was like, oh my God, all you would have to do is just make a couple of adjustments to the story. And this is a Jack Reacher movie because Jack Reacher is ex-military. He's a drifter who just moves from town to town, gets in the middle of problems and ends up solving them using his military background as a um, investigator. And I was just like, Jack Reacher, John Rambo, both military. I was like, holy crap, I couldn't believe how much this reminded me of Reacher. I just found that kind of fascinating. Um, as for the movie itself, it's interesting because I think it's so strange watching this movie where the series turned. Rambo became invincible action superstar and Rambo was a huge part of 80s lexicon. But when you really watch this, he's a veteran that's suffering from PTSD and it really shows how it affects his life. And it seems like in the other movies that doesn't seem to bother him as much anymore. So it's kind of weird how they change the tone from this one. I love the setting up in what's supposed to be Washington. It's just so beautiful. There's just so many beautiful shots and but kudos to Brian Dennehy. He's such a dick in this. And it's so funny because you see him in the opening scene and he's saying hi to all the townspeople and everyone's seems to respect him and like him. But underneath that, he's an ass. He's such an ass. But yeah, great performance by him. Great performance by Stallone. Richard Crenna, which I think we'll get into the facts and trivia, I think didn't start off great. But as the movie went on, I thought his character became better. My initial thoughts of First Blood. Yeah, I, I love it. I love all of it. I don't think I could disagree with any of your thoughts. Not that I ever really disagree with the thoughts, but I appreciate that perspective. And I agree with the fact that the scenery is beautiful in this. All right, so let's move into favorite scenes or moments. What are some of our favorite scenes and moments from First Blood? And I'll start things off. And what's surprising, watching this movie, it's been a while since I've seen it. I didn't remember this opening scene. I really just thought the movie started off with Rambo hitchhiking on the road. But it actually opens up with him trying to find a old friend from his unit. And it ended up becoming one of my favorite scenes of the movie. And I liked going back. I went back to it a couple of times just to watch it because it was just, to me, it was just very interesting. And I think, like I said, it, it has that Jack Reacher feel to it also. Uh, so the movie opens up and we just see this various dirt road and countryside. And there's a shack that's kind of right off the road. And here comes John Rambo. And it looks like he's hitchhiking. He's got his military jacket on and he's carrying like a knapsack. It looks like a, um, a sleeping bag. He's walking around the road and he stops and we see a couple of houses overlooking a lake and it's a beautiful shot and Rambo smiling. And this is something we won't see much of after this scene. And he walks down to the houses and he comes up to this uh, woman who's hanging up her laundry. It's African-American woman. And he asks the woman, hey, I'm looking for Delmar Barry. Is this Delmar Barry's house? And see the woman's a little bit upset but we're not sure why and she's like oh he's not here and he's like oh really you know he gave me his address and shows the woman his address book and he's like yeah this is delmar's writing he used to be in my unit in vietnam and he's like oh i think i have a picture and he pulls out the whole th this whole stack of papers and he goes through them and he finds a picture and he's showing the woman he's like name off the people of the unit and he's like yeah that's delmar in the back because delmar used to be so big if we put him in front of the picture he'd block us all off and you know, he's a little nervous, but he's also kind of excited because he it seems like he really wants to see Delmar. 
again, the woman says, he's not here. And Rambo comes back with, well, when is he coming back? And that's when she says, Delmar died last summer. And you could just see the look on Rambo's face. He's like, what? How? What, what happened? And she proceeds to tell Rambo that he died of cancer from probably Agent Orange. And she said cancer really took him to the point where he became so thin that she could literally pick him up. Rambo's devastated by this news. And you later find out that Delmar was the only surviving member of his unit. So Rambo ends up giving the picture to this woman. We don't know if it's a wife or a grandmother. We just assume it's possibly wife and walks off. And you can just tell he's devastated. And that's really the last time we ever see Rambo happy in this movie. And that happens in the first five minutes. And then, you know, he really doesn't know what he's going to do with himself at this point on. And then, you know, the next scene, we just see him hitching along the road. So it was a, a very good opening scene. You really get to learn a little bit about Rambo's backstory. So, yeah, I thought it was a nice little opening. Couldn't agree more. It's an interesting way to start this movie, especially if you'd maybe seen the trailer for it or had some expectations as Sylvester Stallone was already somewhat an action star. So I appreciate the performances in the scene. It's a brief scene. It's a somber scene, but it does start off light. As you mentioned, you see him happy for just a moment as he's hoping to see his old war buddy once again and to reunite with him. Looking forward to that. I appreciate Stallone's naturalistic performance in this. Even when he's fumbling through his pocket to get the photograph and pointing out the people in the picture. And you can see the love that he has for the people that were in his company and Baker company. You see it in his eyes. It's very genuine. And the woman that plays Delmar Berry's widow or mother, and I'm stepping on trivia again here, and I'm not sure if this is still hold, this still holds, but according to IMDb, the actress who played that role was surprisingly never credited because it's a vital role in the beginning of the movie. And a speaking role. And she's never been identified to this date, this actress that played that role. It's a tough opening, and it really does establish him as being alone, because you see how dejected he is, obviously saddened by the news of his friend's passing and how he passed, because it's an awful way to go. And then we know he's alone. I mean, I don't know if we learn in that very moment, but we can assume maybe he's the last of his company, and then when he's proceeding to drift and uh as this nomad walking alone you get the the sense of loneliness he's isolated like real isolation because when he's walking away he takes that address book and just throws it to the ground right yeah that really might be it for him he has nothing uh very much the reacher type i mean he right. hands the photograph to the widow slash mother and then doesn't need any uh belongings besides his sleeping bag I mean, he's yeah. carrying nothing else. All remnants of his past, he's just discarded in that moment. It's tough. Great scene. Good call. And it leads right into my first favorite scene, which I'm just calling The Cliff. But as I like to do so, I'll give you a little bit of lead up to this. So at this point, we know that John Rambo is a drifter and that he's made his way to the small mountain town of Hope, Washington. As he is walking along the side of the street, he is quickly stopped by the local sheriff, Sheriff Will Teasel, played by Brian Dennehy. And after Teasel attempts to escort Rambo out of town, not liking the looks of him and not wanting him to disrupt this peaceful, boring town, 
He drops him off just outside the town limits so he can continue on his drifting journey south to Portland. But Rambo instead starts walking back into town, obviously thinking he's got every right to be there. And this frustrates the sheriff to no end, who promptly arrests him and books him on vagrancy, resisting arrest, and possession of a giant knife. Cut to this uh, police station sequence where the sheriff's deputies, well, they're a bit hard on Rambo. They abuse him in cleaning him up. They use a fire hose to wash him down. And we do learn from his dog tags that Rambo is a Vietnam veteran. And we learn from his body scars and quick flashbacks that he was tortured during his time in the war. Now, when the deputies attempt to hold him back for a close shave, Rambo has another severe flashback of torture, and he snaps, and he fights. He fights the deputies in the station, beating them all to hell, and escapes into the street, and he commandeers a dirt bike from an innocent rider, an innocent passerby, and immediately Sheriff Teasel gives chase in his squad car, and it's pretty kick-ass chase, and I'll invite Bill Bant to add on to this sequence, because... You get some, it's great. There's at times where you do see the stuntman on the bike and you know it's not Stallone, but there are plenty of close-ups of Stallone actually riding the bike as well. It's pretty, pretty seamless for the most part. But regardless, it's a great chase between car and dirt bike slash motorcycle. You know, I mean, it's over all kinds of different ground. You have him starting in the streets and cutting through like gas stations, et cetera, and tight corners and narrow spaces, and then into the wilderness and onto the gravel roads. And you think at several points that Stallone's going to lose him easily. He's on a dirt bike, but give credit to Sheriff in his squad car. He goes into the fields and over the rocks until finally at one point near the end of the chase when Rambo on the back of the bike goes up a steep hill and the bike just can't go up that incline and he has to jump off, basically falling off the bike. But And also before that, Teasel's car just can't withstand the off-roading and goes down a small cliff and flips over onto its top. But it's it's very visceral and you feel it. You feel like you're in the middle of the chase. It's a bit harrowing in moments and you can kind of feel the wind on your face as Stallone is cruising on that bike. What are your thoughts on that, Bill? Yeah, I like the chase scene because I thought it was pretty tight. The fact that it used all different kinds of terrain for yeah. the chase itself. We had some cool stunts in it. Teasel had no regard for taxpayers' money, just driving through <laughs> fences and gates. And yeah, he was certainly after Rambo and it was going to do whatever it took to catch him. And, you know, we really see the sheriff's advantage of knowing the terrain because. Every time you think Rambo is going to get away, he kind of knows a shortcut to try to get close to him and uh, stepping on some trivia. So the scene ends with uh, the sheriff trying to go up an embankment and rolled the car into some rocks. And that was not in a script. That was an accident. But the director liked how it ended. So they left the car there and then had Dennehy get in it and that's where they continued the scene from that's cool yeah so that was kind of a happy accident i was usually when you watch chase you're like okay your typical car chase but for this one i was like wow this is actually pretty good i really did enjoy it i thought it was a, a high point of the movie yeah it's exciting it's exciting it gets your blood pumping mm -hmm. i love that little bit of trivia because it is literally a happy accident <laughs> 
So moving on, Rambo leads Teasel into the mountains where eventually he, like I mentioned, escapes up the mountainside on foot. So cut to Sheriff Teasel and his deputies, along with a tracker and his three dogs, now on a manhunt for Rambo on this mountainside in the forest, in this thick forest. So they track him to this cliffside where Rambo has now been cornered and he has no choice but to go down this immense cliffside. It's a sheer cliff and we get a great shot, like a helicopter shot of it, kind of pulling away and we just see the immensity of this cliff. But Rambo, of course, starts climbing down this sheer cliff. And now at this point, Sheriff Teasel has called in the chopper. And now a helicopter comes flying through the valley into the canyon with its pilot and Deputy Galt brandishing a rifle with a scope on it. We know Deputy Galt from the previous scene in the sheriff's station and police station because uh, Galt was particularly rough on Rambo. And as an audience, we're not fans of his character. Despite the sheriff's clear orders not to shoot, Galt wants to take out Rambo for basically embarrassing him, beating him up back at the station. And he starts firing. He starts firing shots at Rambo who's hanging on this cliff, this precarious cliff. Galt can't get a good shot off because of the wind currents blowing through the canyon. But finally, the pilot steadies the helicopter. And just before Galt gets his steady shot off, Rambo, knowing he has no choice at this point, jumps from the cliff. It's a fantastic shot. It's a great stunt. You see him push off the cliff, turn and fall face forward downward. He falls through numerous trees, basically hitting every branch on the way down. The branches somehow miraculously managed to break his fall, but not before slicing his right arm pretty good all the way across the bicep, basically the outer bicep. But Rambo takes cover and Galt is still firing away from the helicopter above. Finally, Rambo, who's now also cornered around a corner, has got to fight back some way, somehow, and he picks up a rock, and he just chucks it at the helicopter, hitting the windshield, which clearly throws off the pilot, who then veers and shakes the helicopter, which then Galt is thrown off balance, and he falls out of the helicopter. Another great stunt. Slow-mo fall from the helicopter. Galt falls to his death to the rocks below. Pretty gnarly. And so it's another great action sequence here. Galt has met his demise. Now the troopers, the deputies up top, along with Sheriff Teasel, up top the cliff, are way up there with their rifles looking down. And this is an interesting move here because Rambo knows now someone's been killed. Now we're, we've taken, this has gone to the next level. Not just someone, but a sheriff's deputy. And it's gotten real serious, gotten heavy. So Rambo actually attempts to give himself up. He steps out into the clearing below and he says, the man's dead. It's not my fault. I didn't do anything. And they're telling him to turn himself in and they've got the rifles pointing at him. And he's like, but I didn't do anything. And then shots go off. And it's hard to tell, but it seems as though a ricochet or a bullet skims off of Rambo's forehead. He's been hit, and he retreats back into the wilderness and into the darkness. And thus the chase continues. It's just been kicked up a whole nother notch. 
And this movie's gotten really heavy. Like I mentioned, it's just, yeah, it's a great action sequence, great stunts. There's a great moment when Stallone approaches the dead Galt and picks him up by his jacket and just looks into his eyes with this cold, cold stare. But also maybe a little bit of, you know, regret underneath it. Something like he knows the seriousness of it, but he also knows he's just taken out his enemy in a pretty fierce manner there. But great scene. Yeah, I agree. That's a, a cool scene, too. Yeah, definitely have some two cool falling stunts in that. And also, as an audience member, you're glad Galt got his comeuppance because when Rambo is taken into the county sheriff's office and gets processed, Galt is a prick to him. That scene also reminds me a lot of Jack Reacher, too, where Reacher is silent and doesn't speak unless he has to speak. And the same thing, they were trying to get information from Rambo. And he just wouldn't say anything. He's, he wasn't giving them any information. Yeah, Galt was treating him hard. And uh, as an audience member, he got what he deserved. Even in the helicopter, he turns to the pilot and says something to him like, hold this copter steady or I'm going to fucking kill you. Yeah. So he's a prick. And uh, watching him fall didn't feel bad for him at all. Yeah, he's a bad man. He's a bad man. So it, it, we're in a way uh, either relieved or happy that he he met his demise in the way that he did but regardless this is tough here because i'm just thinking of the fact just to set it up for our audience you it's a weird this movie kind of makes at least makes me feel a little bit weird in the way that we know stallone is innocent he was an innocent drifter he didn't do a whole lot to defend himself as bill bant mentions he's very quiet and he's very reserved, and he feels as though he doesn't have to say anything. He knows who he is, and who, he hasn't done anything wrong. But he is abused at the police station, and at this moment, after this particular scene at the cliff, he says, you know, he hasn't done anything. And as an audience, we know he hasn't done anything, but now it looks really bad, and basically the sheriff is out for revenge, and ego is at play here. And it's difficult because we know that these are police officers and they believe one thing. We know another thing. We know that Stallone is innocent and it's just hard to watch. It's just an intense scenario because we want to root for Rambo, but we're sort of having to root for, he's been put in an impossible situation and we're rooting for him to take out these police officers. Just nobody wins in that scenario. So just wanted to mention that. All right, so moving on to my next favorite scene, which I'm sure is one of your favorite scenes also, is almost basically the next scene of the movie. And that's after the death of Galt, um, Sheriff Will Teasel is now super pissed at Rambo and wants to just get him. He's going to track him in the woods with the rest of the officers. And he asked for a local a gentleman, I think by the name of Orville, and to get his hunting dogs to track Rambo so they can capture him. And it sounds like uh, at this point, even Officer Teasel wants to kill him. So they head off in the woods. So it's the five officers, Orville and his three dogs. And what they don't realize at this point is they have just stepped into Rambo's backyard and they're really going to have no chance of capturing him because he's going to use all of his military skills to keep himself safe. So it starts off there uh, walking through the woods and they're following the dogs that are on to Rambo's scent and they stop and they think that they see Rambo. So Orville sends out two of the dogs to basically take Rambo down 
And as the dogs take off, they go over some of these uh, fallen down logs and you hear bang, bang, dogs are dead. And now not only are the dogs dead, Rambo shoots at the officers and ends up hitting Orville in the leg. So now Orville is down and the officers realize, oh shit, Rambo's got a gun. He probably has Galt's gun that he took after he fell off of the helicopter. So now they're kind of scared. And what even makes it more scary is before they went off to get Rambo, that's when they find out that Rambo used to be with the Green Berets. And they are all saying that Green Berets are badasses. And the officers are a little scared about going out there to begin with. And there's even tension among the group about doing this. And they figure, you know, why don't you call the state police? Why don't you get someone else to go get him? But because of Will's ego, they're doing this. And they can already see what's happened. They've already lost two dogs and Orville is down. So while they're trying to tend to Orville, Orville lets loose the third dog, whose name is Maggie. And Orville basically is like, avenge me and the dogs. And the dog takes off and jumps over the logs. And instead of the dog getting shot, we just hear the dog whimpering. So the dog has basically been stabbed by Rambo with his huge knife. So instead of turning back or tending to Orville, Will still wants to move forward because now he thinks Rambo no longer has a gun that they should be safer. Man, you couldn't be any further from the truth. So Will has the officers spread out about 50 feet apart and they start making their way through the woods, hopefully tracking down Rambo in these dense woods that I, you, I don't think you could find anything. So as they're walking along, we, um, one of the officers who is Mitch, that is played by David Crusoe, uh, steps over a log and right underneath a tree is Rambo crouched right there. And he comes up on Mitch, turns him around and stabs him right in the hamstring, basically taking Mitch out. Mitch ends up calling out for help and... The officers not knowing where anything is and not being able to tell where the screams are coming from or like in a mad scramble trying to find Mitch. We have one of our other officers who is Ward, played by Chris Mulkey, is running by this huge tree stump. And on top of the tree stump is Rambo, all in camouflage. He jumps off the stump, lands on top of Ward, and basically knocks him out with a punch or really stuns him really bad. So now Ward is screaming, but he, yeah, he also yeah, he snaps his arm. He breaks his arm. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So already two of the officers are down. We're out three dogs and Orville has been shot. So then we get to our next officer who is Balford played by Michael Talbert, who uh, we would know from Miami vice. So I guess uh, after he left this, he moved down to Miami and became a vice cop. So he is walking through the woods trying to find Mitch and Ward and he sees Rambo and he picks up his gun to shoot him. And as soon as he tries to pull the trigger, Rambo steps out of the way and standing behind Rambo was Ward. So he ends up shooting Ward in the arm. So Balford starts screaming out that he thinks he actually did shoot Rambo and gives chase, which uh, does not end up well for Balford because he ends up falling into one of Rambo's booby traps, which is he sets off a device that these wooden stakes come out and impale Balford in the legs. And then you have Balford there screaming out for Will now. So we have Mitch screaming out for Will. We have Ward screaming out for Mill. We have Balford screaming out for Will. 
So when Will and one of the, the other officer, which is uh, Shingleton, which is played by David Crawley, try to find where Balford is screaming, Will takes off, Shingle is behind, and Rambo grabs Shingle by the collar and just pulls him down. And we don't know what happens to him. We just see him disappear. So now Will finds Balford. He sees that he's impaled with the stakes. He's able to remove them. And at this point, Will realizes, like, dude, this is a mistake. I can't believe we're doing this. And he calls out for Shillington. And, of course, he can't hear him. So he goes to look for him. And he finds him. And he's tied up to a tree. Rope is strung around his neck. And, of course, Singleton's, Will, Will. And the sheriff steps between a tree and a bush. And here comes Rambo. Jumps right out. Pushes him up against the tree. Holds a knife to his throat and says to him, I could have killed them all. I could have killed you. In town, you're the law. But out here, it's me. Don't push it. Don't push it or I'll give you a war you wouldn't believe. Let it go. Let it go. And at that point, well, the whole time he's doing the speech, you could just see the sheriff is almost like pissing his pants. And he's just slowly sliding down to the tree so when rambo releases him he basically just falls to the ground he's almost in tears at this point he knows he fucked up big time but it's not going to stop him unfortunately it's, it's a cool scene seeing rambo in his element and just how easily he takes out those officers the dogs and uh, poor orville thanks for breaking that down bill Bant. couldn't agree more this scene is huge in this movie it just this entire sequence of him one by one taking out the deputies and just establishing his dominance. Like you said, this is his backyard. All of his skills are on display here and he is not to be trifled with. He is not to be messed with. You do not F with Rambo, not in this particular circumstance. And uh, the fact that every, especially the first three that get hit, like Mitch Ward, Belford, every time they get taken out all immediately, they're all screaming out for will. I was like, call out for the other guys. <laughs> but it's literally one after another. And there's Will going like, oh, my God, all my men are just getting their asses kicked here one by one. And you said it right at the end. Dennehy's reaction afterward is pretty powerful. Yeah. It's like this is where now he has really been put in his place. And then some he's been taken down several notches. It's one of those moments. It's kind of like. You know what? I'll make this analogy just off the top of my head. I remember way back when in high school, this was during gym class and it was in the wrestling room or area of the gym and there were the mats laid down and we just went one-on-one -on -one with one another just to work on a couple of simple wrestling moves. But the guy I up was up against, I believe, was one of my good friends, John Parkman, and he happened to have wrestling experience. He was on the team. And so... When we wrestled, I went in like all cocksure thinking, uh, you know, at least I'll last a few minutes. I was done in probably 15 seconds. He put me in a hold that I couldn't get out of. And it was the most frustrating thing. And it was emasculating. It was humiliating. And I remember getting up afterward and like people on my team or whatever, because we were kind of had teams. They were like, what happened? <laughs> what happened, Masik? What happened there? It's like, yeah, I I'm not. I don't know. I don't know. Just ran into a freight train. I went into somebody else's backyard, basically, right? And that's that feeling is awful. And that's what you see on Dennehy's face here is like, oh, shit. I had no idea. I, I'm in over my head. I'm out of my depth. 
this is something else entirely. Then he's excellent in that moment. So thanks for breaking that down. My next sequence or scene, I should say sequence, is really the final action sequence. And I'm going to breeze through this a bit because there's a lot happening, but it is just action. So don't need to get into the nitty gritty details. But the setup here is that we know that Rambo was seemingly killed and or at least cornered in an explosion because he is cornered at the opening of what they call a cave, but apparently it, it is a mine shaft in the side of the mountain. And we see the opening. He's there and he has been trapped by the National Guardsmen, which are made of basically volunteers and part-timers and locals and such that make up these National Guardsmen. And they just go off disobeying orders and they start firing and shoot a bazooka into the opening of this mine shaft. The last moment before the, the bazooka missile blows up, Rambo manages to go deeper into the shaft and avoid the explosion and, and he escapes, but they don't know that. And he then makes his way through the shaft and is covered with rats at one point, which, which scared the crap out of Bill as a kid. Of course, is able to use his matches and, and start a flame and wraps extra cloth around the blade of his giant Bowie knife and sets that aflame. So he has basically a torch to guide him through the mine shaft and he gets out through the other end. And now he's back. And Rambo's going to exact a little bit of his own revenge. You pissed off the wrong guy. And as the National Guardsmen are retreating down the mountainside in their army trucks, we've got Rambo, who's basically camouflaged. He jumps from a small cliff overhang onto the top of one of these army trucks, climbs through the side door, pulling a little Indiana Jones action here, and convinces the driver to jump out, basically shoving him out the door. And now he takes control of the army truck, drives back into town, and now it's night. And he's pretty reckless. And he's like, I'm just going to take out this entire town of hope. There is no hope for this town. And he drives to this gas station and literally drives over the gas pumps. He just takes out the gas pumps, which means there's gasoline spewing, geysering into the air, just shooting from the ground up into the air. He stops the truck, jumps out. Guess what's in the back of this particular army truck? That's right. An M60 automatic machine gun. And of course, Rambo takes the gun and the entire belt of ammunition along with it, wrapping it all around himself. And now he's got the giant gun and he sets the gasoline ablaze and blows up the gas station. And it's a great explosion. It's just giant. It's kind of like what we always want to see in these movies. And you do see it. It's like almost a trope in a lot of 80s action movies. Regardless, this sets off the alarms. And now Sheriff Teasel is aware that Rambo is still alive. And he's probably coming for him. And, well, that's reinforced by the fact that Colonel Troutman has arrived at the sheriff's station to let Teasel know, yeah, you're fucked. Don't go after this guy. Stop it right now. Otherwise... He's going to kill you. That's what he's trained to do. Of course, Sheriff Will Teasel is not having it. And Troutman says, well, yeah, good luck, basically, and takes off. So now we continue with this crazy action sequence where Rambo is just running around town with this giant M60 in one arm and the ammunition belt in the other. And 
he decides first, and it's very strategic. It's cool just watching him run around. He takes out the power lines and putting half the town into a blackout. He goes to into a, a store that's called the Outpost, and he ransacks the store for anything he could find. He finds all this ammo and stuff and just throws it aside, but eventually finds some gunpowder, opens that baby up, leaves a trail of gunpowder, shoots it, lighting it on fire. The entire Outpost store goes up in flames and is blown to hell, explodes. It's awesome. And this is strategic in a way because what it does is that now at this point, let me take it a step back, is Sheriff Teasel is basically taking shelter in the sheriff's station, but he is trying to employ some strategy of himself and he goes up to the roof of the police station to try to get a bird's eye view of the town and to pinpoint exactly where Rambo is. So he's walking around the roof. And meanwhile, on the ground, we have Rambo blowing the whole town to hell. And when he blows up the outpost, the explosion, there's a glow that lights up the town. And that's when he spots Sheriff Teasel on the roof of the sheriff's station. And then we get Rambo using his M60 to just riddle the police station with bullets. And this is what we want from an action movie in the 80s, especially as young guys were watching this going, yeah, we want to see this muscle-bound dude with a giant machine gun in one arm and this rippling bicep just fire bullets repeatedly into random buildings and just knock them down. And that's what he does to the police station, goes inside, and then we get a little bit of a cat and mouse where we know Teasel's on the roof and Rambo's underneath. And basically there's like this uh, skylight. It's a glass window in the roof of the building where we know Teasel can look down into inside the police station and Rambo knows that. So he does not walk underneath the glass window and instead shoots upward through the roof where he figures Teasel is right next to the window and just shoots the hell out of Teasel and Teasel falls forward through the glass window down into the police station. Rambo now has him dead to rights, standing over him with the giant machine gun and is about to take him out in cold blood. But that's when Colonel Troutman reappears and puts a stop to it. So I'm just calling out this entire sequence because this is what, and I'll get into the tone of this movie again later. And I had mentioned it in my initial thoughts, but here, this is, you know, what we what we want from a Stallone action movie. And, you know, this kind of thing would be parodied much later on in other movies. But to watch Stallone, especially like when he walks into the Outpost store first and he just stands there kind of spread eagle with the machine gun in one arm. It's like that's the post. That's the hero shot. That's the poster image. That's what we want. It's good action hero shit. That's all I'm going to say about that whole sequence. Yeah, I wouldn't even say he's blowing up random stuff because what he's doing is he's, you know, taking out the gas station causes Teasel to send out the remaining sheriffs or officers to go out and investigate. So that yeah, kind of empties point, yeah. that office, which is good, too, because, I mean, there's that scene when Stallone takes the M60 and starts blowing away the sheriff's office. And you're like, man, if there was any civilian staff in there, he could have killed somebody. But he really empties it out, so it'll just be Teasel and him alone. And then even blowing up the buildings, like I said, it helps uh, Rambo pinpoint where Teasel is, but it also distracts Teasel because he's looking right. one way, and now Rambo's coming in another, some tactics. So it is pretty cool when you really think about what Rambo is trying to do. Not only is he trying to blow things up, there is an actual strategy behind how he's doing it. 
and really make it a one-on-one -on -one confrontation at the end. So it is cool stuff. And yeah, any 12-year-old action fanboy just eats that shit up. And well, even the 50-year-old fanboy eats that shit up too. Speaking of the tone, that's where they end up taking the franchise, right? I mean, it's basically, yep. yeah, we, we need Stallone with a big machine gun and his knife or whatever, just blowing shit up. And that's what Rambo franchise kind of becomes. Yeah. Uh, so for me, last thing, it's just a really quick moment. And um, say what you will about the ending and Stallone's speech. And he's really talking about, you know, the trauma of going through the Vietnam War and recalling some of the incidents that happens to him over there. And Troutman's in there with him. And there's a speech that Rambo's given about a friend who kid had a like a bomb in a shoebox and blows up his friend and Rambo's talking about how he's trying to put him back together. And but there's just this shot of Richard Crenna listening to this story. And I think this kind of redeems the character in this shot because you can see in that face, and they hold on to it for a good couple seconds, where Troutman is like, Oh my God, what have I done? He created Rambo mm -hmm. and he made him into an undestructible machine but didn't realize the consequences of this is like Rambo is a human being. He does have emotions and just listen and tell that story. You could really see that Troutman feels for him, you know, stepping on trivia. They did change the ending from what it was in the book. Cause in the end Rambo does get killed, but in this scene Troutman's able to get Rambo to surrender. But I think it shows that, Troutman has a little humanity at this point and just really feels for Rambo. But it's it's just that two, three second shot of Krenna's face that I just think, wow, that's a very impactful moment during the speech. And I thought it really worked. This is cool. That's a great call. And I didn't really see that until now, until you brought it up. So I'm glad you did because we do love Richard Krenna. Yeah, it's a difficult moment at the end. I particularly enjoy, I shouldn't say enjoy. But I, I do enjoy Stallone's performance. The content of the monologue is difficult. It's a really, really tough story that he relays, but you become immediately sympathetic to his character and understand the trauma he has endured and what is just stays with him. Because and this is obviously a number of years after the Vietnam War has ended, but he still carries this with him. And the story itself is extremely graphic and unnerving. And the fact that he just breaks down and he's crying. And the fact that you bring up that moment, that look in Troutman's eyes, and the Troutman goes over to Rambo and kneels down, and Rambo takes him to hold him, and he becomes a thousand percent vulnerable in that moment. I think they both do a little bit. And that's the thing is like, you know, here is this unstoppable killing machine that has now been reduced to a puddle of tears because he can't mentally, physically, emotionally deal with the trauma and the things that he sees in his head and the, the memories that he has of the men that he he lost and his brothers, his friends. So it's a very impactful ending. So to see now when you point out Troutman and his look at the end to see, my God, he still is a human being somewhere in that and under there. And look at what I've done and what I turned him into. And now he's losing his mind that's the the after effect that's the uh the price that he's paying it's tough it's good stuff man yes 
So let's move on to our Swiss cheese and complaint department. And why do we call it Swiss cheese? Because although this movie is delicious, it does have M60 holes. Yes, if it doesn't have any M60 holes, we just file a complaint with the complaint department. So, Jason, what do you have for Swiss cheese or complaints? Yeah, complaint question to start off with. We get the sense that the town of Hope, its local police and sheriff's department, that they know the land a little bit, at least the lay of the land. Thus, they know the details of that mine shaft. I think at one point, either the sheriff or someone else says, yeah, I know where that is. I think, yeah, he said, I think the sheriff says, I know where that is. And that's why they chopper him in. They fly him in. So after the National Guard blows the entrance, blows it up, would they not think to at least check any other entrances in the case that Rambo might escape out the other side of the mine shaft? It's, I didn't think of that until you started asking the question. I'm like, oh, I know exactly where this is going. And that makes sense. They should have went in the other side to make sure. They would have to know it comes out at some other point because there's we do know there's hunters out there in the wilderness on that mountain locals hikers whomever would know that there's other entrances to this mine shaft so they've got to close it up shut it down they got to check out all the uh the openings to this shaft wherever they may be but they just assume they got them for whatever reason pretty uh, costly assumption and i love the fact that i think this is really one of the first movies that emphasize if you're ever in a cave or a shaft or anything like that and you have something that you can light up follow the draft and then you get yourself out right good call survival skills 101 by bill band thanks rambo <laughs> what do you have for holes or complaints i didn't really have any holes but i certainly had a complaint even though it's one of our favorite scenes is when they get orville and the dogs to go find rambo and orville gets shot and he's in the middle of the woods and he gets shot in the leg and they leave him. Uh, he's a civilian. Your right. priority is someone has to get him out because if he dies, that's a bad, bad look. How can you just leave him there? Oh, for sure. Because then you got to go back and even try to find him. Those woods are dense. Oh, yeah. It's dark. Yeah. And a storm's coming and you're leaving a guy there by himself. It's like that made no sense because even when they spread out 50 yards and when Mitch gets hit first, they have trouble tracking him down and he's only supposed to be 50 yards away from someone. Yeah, because he's screaming out. But like you said, it's echoing all over the forest. Yeah, yeah it's hard no to figure idea. out where he is. Yeah, yeah. You can't leave Orville out there. That's a good call. Leave no man behind. Right. But yeah, yeah, you can, especially because he's a civilian, et cetera, like you mentioned. But uh, yeah, somebody's got to stay with him. Somebody should right. just stay with him to make sure the tourniquet is a properly like they tell they put the tourniquet on him. And I think Teasel says, remember to loosen it every 15 minutes. Great. Why doesn't somebody he can be, just he can be passed out in the first 15? He can yeah, go in the shock. So many things could happen. Or at least wait for the base officer to come up and get him mm -hmm. or something. And good then call. Get two of them take him back. That's really ego getting in the way. For sure. I mean, that's the whole thing is that the sheriff and his men have been supremely embarrassed at the station. They all got their asses kicked by one guy. And then they're all just out there trying to repair their egos, I suppose. <laughs> Probably a little more than that. I mean, they do believe that Rambo is a very dangerous killer, but it's they're misinformed. So my next complaint, I'm calling the Bill Bant diehard complaint. Uh-oh. You should like this. The National Guardsmen, for me, they're portrayed a little bit too much as a joke in this. And I get why, but 
at the point, you know, where Rambo's taken out several policemen in a violent, effective manner. And I, I understand that by having 200 of these National Guardsmen, these volunteers, that the numbers will overpower Rambo. But these volunteer guardsmen, they kind of come off as a, like goofy, a little reckless. It just takes away from the gravitas of the film a little bit for me. Now, if we saw these guardsmen in actual, like real fear for their life, I mean, they're supposed to be in real fear. It's just the lines betray the realism of their fear, if that makes any sense. It's just a little goofy for me. They're framed in a comic relief manner, which is a little detrimental to the weight of what's happening. That's all I'm saying. It's not a major complaint, but it throws me off a little bit. I'm like, I get it. They're part-timers. They're way, 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 way out of their league in this situation, but it's still played a little bit for comic relief. I got you. I got you. Yeah, I, I agree with that. All right, question for you. I don't know if it's really yeah, a yeah. complaint, but... So what, what happened to Galt's jacket after he fell off the helicopter? Because I thought... Great question. Rambo takes it. I'm like, okay, good. That will provide warmth to him. For sure. But then we never see it again. And then when the officers go to track Rambo down the woods, Rambo makes a makeshift scarecrow. So they assume that that's him. And I was like, oh, maybe he used the jacket as the scarecrow. But I stopped and free. And I'm like, that's not the jacket. Because that whatever it was looked more like it was like a, a trash bag and yeah. kind of had a hood. And their jackets didn't have hoods. So I was like, what the hell do you do with the jacket? Especially if we're up there. Might as well use it to keep warm. I never saw it in the cave. Oh, it's a great question. It goes missing. I, yeah. I too, like yourself, thought maybe he used it for the scarecrow. But it's clear that whatever he uses, it looks like, yeah, a black raincoat or a windbreaker or something that's slick. But it's not Galt's jacket. Yeah. And, he, and, but that's the first thing you think of when you see him take Galt's jacket. It's like, oh, my God, now he at least will be able to stay a little warm with that jacket on. He's smart. He gets what he needs from him and moves on. Gets a gun, gets a jacket. Could be something from a deleted scene. Like maybe, yeah, maybe. discarded somehow. Mm -hmm. But yeah, good call. I thought of that too. This is my last one really for this. And it just goes back to my earlier point. Now, speaking of things that subtract from the gravitas, I think the movie could have been more of a show versus tell. There's just a lot of lines telling us what an elite professional killer soldier that Rambo is. We don't need to hear the lines over and over and over again. I hate to say it because it seems so cliche at this point regarding Sylvester Stallone and his ego that we know about during the early years of his career. But he is credited as one of the screenplay authors. And I have to assume some of these lines are inserted just to make him look as, you know, or seem as cool as possible or as invincible and bigger than life as possible. It was a different time, different kind of movie. But I'm going to give you some examples here. I love the initial scene. This is actually a cool line. When Sheriff Teasel is about to arrest Rambo in the very beginning, and he, he takes the knife off of him, he says, what do you do with this? And Rambo says, uh, hunt. And he goes, what do you hunt with a knife? Name it. I love his response is just name it. Then later on, a lot of it uh, is Troutman. One scene starts with Teasel saying, are you telling me that 200 of our men are against your boy is no win situation for us? Troutman responds, you send that many. Don't forget one thing. Teasel says, what? Troutman responds, a good supply of body bags. Here's some of other Troutman's lines. I don't think you understand. I didn't come to rescue Rambo from you. I came here to rescue you from him. That was the opening quote. He also says, I'm just amazed he allowed any of your posse to live. 
or strictly speaking, he slipped up. You're lucky to be breathing. This is the great one. Uh, you don't seem to, to want to accept the fact you're dealing with an expert in guerrilla warfare, with a man who's the best, with guns, with knives, with his bare hands, a man who's been trained to ignore pain, ignore weather, to live off the land, to eat things that would make a billy goat puke. In Vietnam, his job was to dispose of enemy personnel, to kill, period, win by attrition. Well, Rambo was the best. All these lines. You're goddamn lucky he didn't kill all of you. The kid is resilient. Now, why don't you forget what you're thinking about and get out of here while you can? Or that boy's a heart attack. He may be the best special forces I've ever trained. Anything you're going to throw at him, he's been through a hundred times worse. In worse places than this. You get the idea. It's just line after line after line. And it's for just like, okay, you beat me over the head enough. I get it. He's a badass. So that's really my final complaint. It just kind of leans into that, that tone issue that I have where is this going to be an action drama or action hero kind of fun uh, shoot 'em up type of movie? Is it going to be a little on the lighter side or serious side? And that's I, it kind of teeters between those two things throughout. It's like, okay, we've got to make a decision here. And then they throw the monologue in the end and it's this really heavy ending. But then they decide that no, Rambo's got to live which is a smart choice because now you have a billion-dollar franchise that follows, but it loses the gravitas of the story of the war veteran really dealing with this internal trauma. So that's where I, I, I got a little caught up, and that was kind of a general complaint. That's it. That's all I got. Okay. Yeah, just for my last complaint is there's the scene after they think Rambo has died in the mine and they go back to the county sheriff's office and you have one of the employees, one of the officers sleeping at the desk by the radio. And I get it. We all get tired at work. I'm sure we've all taken some naps at work. A little siesta. But after everything that has just happened, you would be on full alert, full adrenaline. You had a man run through your office, kick the shit out of everybody, then... The officers go to track him down the woods. They're all in the hospital right now. Who knows when they're going to be back? And you decide to take a nap at the desk? And especially the emergency radio desk? So if something came through, you wouldn't even hear it? I hope that was his last day on the job, too. Yeah, gotta let that guy go. Needs to be a, bit, a little more alert. I had to go back and rewind. I'm like, wait, is he actually sleeping? <laughs> and sure enough, he was. Uh, that's great. I love it. That's a fun complaint. All right. It's time to move on to the said actor. All right. So in this segment, we spotlight a character actor you have seen in many other films, an actor making their big screen debut, or an actor that makes an uncredited cameo. It's hey, it's an actor. Who do we choose this week, Jason? Well, this week we choose for our hey, it's that actor segment, Michael Talbot, who you oh, mentioned earlier yes. as Deputy Belford. Had to do it. Yes. We're just to big Miami Vice fans here on the podcast, as you well know. So had to choose him. He is the officer who is caught in the booby trap set by Rambo in that earlier sequence that we in the film. Yeah, he's basically speared in the front of both thighs with wooden spikes. Looks really painful. Yes, it does. And Talbot plays the pain pretty well as an actor. Anyway, this will be kind of brief, actually. Talbot did a whole bunch of episodic TV in the 70s, everything from the streets of San Francisco to Sanford and Son to MASH. He was a bully in the film Carrie. And then cut to the 80s, he plays Mickey in Used Cars in 1980, Officer Morgan in 
any which way you can, also in 1980. He was in Mommy Dearest in 1981. He was a fireman in Uncommon Valor in 83, as we know, directed by the same director, Ted Kotcheff. Uh, he was credited as the cowboy in National Lampoon's Vacation, but was edited out. I guess you do see him in a photograph in, during the end credits of the movie, but he's not actually in the movie. So anyway, Michael Talbot did a bunch more television episodes. He was Jehan, the real estate agent in Manhunter in 1986. So that actually makes now three Talbot movies we've done, Bill Bant. Yeah. On this podcast. But- now, here we are, 110 episodes of Miami Vice from 1984 to 1989. He played the role of Detective Stan Switek. Just awesome. Just a lovable guy, likable character on that show. And that's what we'll always know him for. And it's a great part. Afterward, he would take on a recurring role as Eddie Dirksen on the series of TV movies called Jack Reed, the Jack Reed television movies. Wasn't aware of those. But he would go on to keep working up until 2014 when his filmography stops, at least according to IMDb. And that's really all I got. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Michael Talbot is our Hey, It's That Actor for this week. Yeah, it's funny. When I was discussing that scene and saying how Michael Talbot, I was like, oh, I'm probably stepping all over Jason's Hey, It's That Actor. So I probably- oh, it's all good. It's all good. I'm glad you shot. You gave him a shout out to him. You know, you had your chance. You got it. You got to had to take it. But yeah, outside of this Miami Vice and Manhunter, I really wouldn't know anything else he was in. I never even heard of that Jake Reed show. Yeah, Jack Reed. It's Jack like Reed. Jack, it's Jack Reed colon whatever because it's a series of TV movies. Oh, okay. I don't have a list of them. I, I should have had some examples of the titles of those, but you can you can find it on his uh, IMDb filmography. Let's move on to facts and trivia. What are some facts and trivia we have about First Blood? <laughs> Can't get enough. Well, this is one that seems to be listed in most of the research. The first rough cut of this film was between three and three and a half hours long. According to Stallone, it was so bad that it sickened his agent and him. Stallone wanted to buy the movie and destroy it, thinking it was a career killer. After heavy re-editing, the film was cut down to 93 minutes, the version that was ultimately released in theaters. The ending used in the finished film was shot in March of 1982, after the original one was deemed unsatisfactory. Cool. Um, I'm usually not one to do facts and trivia for cast, but this one was huge, and it was certainly confirmed. Kurt Douglas was actually cast as Colonel Troutman for a little while, but he walked off the set due to disagreements with the director and producer over the film's ending he wanted rambo to die and he wanted to be the one that to do it and the producers and directors said no so he walked up i think it was a day or two before shooting and then they had to call krenna in and uh yeah he so he only had two days prep to come in so i tried to give him a little leeway with the opening because i'm like maybe that was his first scene that he had to do Mm, so that's the way he is makes sense didn't get to warm up into the role right he didn't really get to learn the character I have the special edition DVD. They actually have a poster that they had done, and it does have Kirk Douglas in it as Troutman. How different would that have been with Kirk Douglas? Oh, yeah. Especially if they bowed to his needs or requests as to the ending of the movie. Yeah, that would have been it. What a bummer. It would have been a good movie. So, I'm yeah. Yeah, sure. Kirk Douglas is awesome. But I read two different things, one on IMDb and one on Wikipedia regarding this. Supposedly, for the end, Kirk Douglas said, here's what I want 
This is the quote, according to IMDb. We don't know a lot of folks. Yeah, you, you probably know this already. We don't know if a lot of this is true or not, but this is what is out there. And here's one story. He said, quote, here's what I want. At the very end of the movie, I should kill you. The audience sees a cop car driving away. And as it disappears into the fog, a hand reaches up to the rear view mirror. The camera turns up and we see me, that being Kirk Douglas. It turns up a bit higher and I'm wearing your headband. Meaning he's killed Rambo and he's taken his headband. And of course, the idea was soundly rejected. And then it says uh, Richard Crenna came in as last minute replacement and had to have his lines fed to him in his first scene. Yes, so that I actually heard him say that. He says on the extras that he okay. was so ill-prepared that he had to tell the director, it's like, you got to feed me lines. See, then that there there you go. That does. So that part was true. Yeah. So I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure what the real. I just know Douglas walked off because he didn't like the way the movie was going to end. That well, was true. Right. How it actually happened. Version. Yeah. The other version is that Douglas wanted to retain the novel's original ending of Rambo and Teasel fatally wounding each other. Troutman finishing Rambo with a kill shot, then sitting with the dying Teasel for the sheriff's finals moments. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So I, I don't know if that was the ending in the book. Do Rambo and Sheriff Teasel fatally wound each other? And then... Oh, I don't know that. I just, yeah, we just know in the book he does die. Okay. Moving on. What else? But you know what? For... I Go think ahead. that does make sense because I think from what I understood from the book is Rambo kills a ton of people in the book right. and they wanted right. to make him more simple. Like even that when he stumbles upon that hunting crew. Oh, like yeah. That, that kid. The, and then they the young shoot. boy. Yeah. He supposedly kills all them too. Oh, geez. Yeah, he's vicious in the book. Yeah, I did read that. Yeah, that he kills a bunch of people. So that would make sense, too, that I kind of understand if Kirk Douglas was like, I think Troutman should be the one to kill him because he's the one that created him. Yeah. The monster. Yeah, I agree with okay. that. But the producers did the right thing. Like, they saw the dollar signs. Mm-hmm. So uh, Sylvester Stallone accidentally broke uh, the nose of a stuntman during the prison escape scene by elbowing him in the face, which is why we see that one officer wearing a Band-Aid over his nose for the rest of the film. Yeah. Which actually mimicked one of the incidents in the novel that he did that the same to one right, of the officers. That actually happens yeah. in the book. So yeah, that, that one officer actually has a broken nose. Well, speaking of the famous Rambo knife, James Lyle, known as uh, Jimmy Lyle, and the Arkansas Knifesmith, was an American knife maker from Russellville in Pope County, Arkansas, who made the Rambo knife for the film's First Blood and Rambo First Blood Part Two. When Lyle was approached with the specifications for the Rambo knife, he was told to design it not as a mere prop, but as a basic tool to perform a variety of tasks. Lyle adapted a basic clip-point Bowie knife which could be used to chop wood and slice food while retaining an edge. He employed a waterproof hollow handle design to store matches, needles, thread, and a compass. The hollow handle allows the knife to be fitted to a pole to make a spear or gig. The handle was wrapped with nylon line that could be used for fishing or making snares. The tips on the guards were made into a standard and Phillips screwdriver, and the spine was serrated. Lyle chose to forge the blade of 440C high carbon steel, which he claimed could cut through the fuselage of an aircraft. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. That's a badass knife. We see Galt use the knife to slice right through that sheet of paper. And yeah. We're like, oh, it can actually also cut through the fuselage of an aircraft. Whatever you need to do that. 
So you know how I love names of movies in other countries. Here we go. So in most countries, uh, the movie was named after the protagonist, or Rambo, um, though a few decided to invert the foreign subtitle and make it Rambo First Blood. But here's some interesting names in some other countries. So in Brazil, it was called Rambo, Programmed to Kill, and then later retitled Rambo 1, The Mission Begins. In French Canada, it was called Rambo the Devastator. In Finland, Rambo the Warrior. In Portugal, the Heroes Fury and Rambo. And Spain, it could either be translated into cornered or surrounded. So that was some of the other names of First Blood in other countries. I think I'm leaning towards Rambo the Devastator. Yeah, I think so too. (laughs) Eat it, Terminator. I'm the Devastator. Here's a quick fun one, or I should say light one. On August 14th, 2020, not too long ago, a cedar wood statue of Rambo was unveiled in Hope, Canada, 38 years after the film's release. Mayor Pete Robb, Canadian Member of Parliament Mark Strahl, and the statue sculptor Ryan Villers attended the ceremony. Oh, that's fun. All right, I got another fun one to end it with. So David Caruso's Screams of Pain when he gets stabbed in the leg. This was actually immortalized in the video game Golden Axe. It is the scream made by the Mace Warriors when you kill them. So yeah, look it up on YouTube. You'll hear it. And they actually did use Galt's, I think, scream when he falls out of the helicopter. And I think it's the same scream they use when some of the villagers are getting taken away in the game. So the yeah, makers of Golden Axe were big uh, First Blood fans. Oh, man, that's I know you used wild. to play that's that one, great. right? I love that game, of course. I mean, that was one of my my pseudonyms was Gilius Thunderhead. Golden Axe, man, brings back memories. Good old University of Miami and the Sega. Ah, good times, good times. All right, time for some box office. So First Blood was released on October 22nd, 1982 in 901 theaters. On an estimated budget of $18 million, it grossed $47.2 million domestically and $78 million internationally. It debuted number one at the box office, which was one of five new movies released that day. The others were Halloween 3, Monsignor, Jinxed, and The Sender. First Blood would hold the top spot for another two weeks, and it would be the 13th highest grossing movie in the United States. So moving on reviews, First Blood was not featured on sneak previews. However, in Roger Ebert's review of the film, he gave a three out of four stars stating, until the last 20 or 30 minutes, First Blood is a very good movie, well-paced and well-acted, not only by Stallone, but also by Krenna and Brian Dennehy as the police chief. The screenplay should have stopped while it was ahead. Hmm. Yeah. Rotten Tomatoes gives it a tomato meter score of 86% with an audience score of 86%. It also has an IMDb rating of 7.7. And just really quick on that. You know, it's really cool. We do this Cisco and Ebert segment for all of our shows. And when it's not featured, it is cool that we can find Roger Ebert's reviews online. I feel bad that we can't find Gene Siskel's. Like, you can never find anything about him. Mm. He was one half of this iconic show. Yeah, oh yeah. And we always celebrate. I mean, Grant, I think I always lean more towards Roger than Gene's reviews, but it would have been nice that they would have an archive of his stuff also. No question about it. 
He deserves it. Yeah. So just my two cents. You raise a really good point, though. All right. So it's time for additional thoughts and questions. We have any additional thoughts and questions about First Blood? Well, here's a really quick additional thought. Is there any better name for a movie character that's an ex-Green Beret than Rambo? The answer is no. No. It's just a great name. And here's my little trivia question attached to his name. What is Rambo's middle name? What does the J stand for? Yeah. I don't know. Did they ever reveal that? I looked it up. It's, of course, comes right up on like Wiki Fandom, and it's James. John James. Yeah, it worked. John James Rambo. That's it. Oh, I have a possible drinking game watching this movie. (laughs) Yeah. So it is the Sheriff Will Teasel goddammit drinking game. Oh, great. Every time he says goddammit? Yep. Oh, that's awesome. Don't do shots. That might kill you. Chug half a beer. You should be okay. Because he says it about 10 to 12 times. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because if you do that within 90 minutes, you could be in trouble. But that's his go-to. I was going to say you could also do it for the, you know, every time they tell the audience that Rambo's a badass. Right. That could also work. But then you'd just be shit-faced at the end of the movie. Or you'd be shit-faced half an hour into the movie. Yeah, because if you Uh, try to do it every time they screamed out Will, (laughs) you wouldn't even make it halfway through the movie. But I like your version better. The Yeah, just every time he says, God damn it, that's really funny. Yeah, just pay attention to that every time. He says that a lot. Uh, here's a question. I mentioned this in one of my favorite scenes. It's after the the cliff scene when Rambo jumps off the cliff and falls through the trees. And he attempts to give himself up. He puts his hands in the air and then the sheriff and his deputies fire at him. Does Rambo get hit in the face or the forehead with a bullet? I kept watching that to see what happened. It's, yeah. I think I go with your ricochet theory. That would make the most sense because if he took a bullet where he puts his hand. Right. It's his forehead area. Right. He'd be dead. So it had right, to yeah, be if something he took it that directly would, to the forehead. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. So that's why if it ricocheted and, and skimmed off his head like that, that would make more sense. I keep forgetting because I was rewatching it and I get caught up in other moments and scenes yeah. and dialogue. And I was looking for, does he have a head wound? Because is that where the bandana comes from? Like, is that why he wraps his head? That's what I kept thinking too. I'm like, do I keep missing him putting the headband on? Because we're so used to the other movies watching the iconic tie the headband <laughs> yes, on his exactly, head. exactly. Right. But the next scene we see him in, he's sharpening the, the wooden stakes with his knife and he's already got the bandana on at that point. So we never see him put it on. We never see him treat that wound. So we don't know what it is. Okay. Yeah, that it, it's funny. It sticks in my head. And I, I actually think about it every time I see this movie. Yeah. I've always thought about that. It's like, oh, dang, did he get hit with a bullet? Like, what happened? It has to be a ricochet. It has to be. It's not directly addressed afterward. Yeah, unless one of the sheriffs is off on the cliff and just hits him in the weirdest angle. Right. Almost the bullet would almost have to come across his head and then skim off. And it's possible. We see that in other movies where someone gets grazed by a bullet, and maybe that's what happened, but it's... Yeah, it's- I keep saying sheriff, but I don't know what to call the county officer. Because they're not police. They're like county sheriffs. Yeah. But yeah, I would go with the ricochet theory. All right. You got any other thoughts, questions? No, that's it. Well, I think you answered my, the big question being, uh, what's your favorite Rambo movie? If you asked me as a teenager, it would be Rambo. But yeah, now it's, it's this hands down. Rambo part two. Yeah. Sorry. I have to specify, yes. I know, because it's Rambo Part 2, Rambo 3, and then 
Have you seen all five films? Have you seen the the last two? Did you see? Yes. Is it Ram? Is it just Rambo, or is it John Rambo? I think it's, and then it's Rambo: Last Blood was the last film. Right. Oh, I don't know what the fourth one's called. Is it John Rambo? So the fourth film is just Rambo. The fifth is Rambo: Last Blood. Did you see those films? Yes, I did as well. Oh, I have to say this too because this was interesting. Because when I went to watch this, I have it. I have it on DVD, and I have the special edition, and I watched that. And when I was done watching it, I was like, oh, wait, I think I picked up the other movies as part of a set. And I didn't realize it was a, it was the five film set because it was at Best Buy for like nine bucks. I was like, got to grab it. So I watched First Blood the second time on Blu-ray. It was a Blu-ray set. And holy crap, the difference in picture from DVD to Blu-ray. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like sure. I always knew there was a, a difference, but watching the same movie back to back like that, how big it was. Yeah, I, you know, I watched Rambo Last Blood, the final film up to this point, not too long ago. That is a violent movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's gory. So is Rambo, so is the Rambo, fourth film. Yes. It's all action and it's all gore. It's just him just literally taking the enemy apart. There's just body parts and blood flying everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what? I have to say, I do really look forward to covering part two and part three on this podcast. That'll be fun. Both yeah. from the eighties. Bill Bant, last question I have for you, unless you wanted to insert a question or thought here. I think you said you were done. Yes. All right. Well, have you personally had any survival training of any sort? I mean, I was a cup scout, so we learned like, sure, basic, that counts. yeah, we yeah, learned okay. some basic stuff. That's what I'm asking. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I was never in the boy scouts, cub scouts or any of the, any of the like, I would say of all the camps I went to as a kid, my favorite was going to Cub Scout camp because we really did a lot of fun stuff in the wilderness and learned a lot of fun survival things out there. Yeah, absolutely. Every other camp, I hate it. Yeah, for me, I'll always have fond memories of doing Outward Bound, which was an outdoor week-long journey that I actually uh, did with my sister. It was It was great. It was somewhat of a bonding experience, but we were actually separated into two different crews because a lot of it is rafting, and we rafted on the Green River through Utah, Colorado. It was a lot of uh, not just learning how to raft properly and use your oars slash paddles properly, but scouting the rapids. And I remember when the storm occurred at some point and lightning was striking, and we learned to got to get off the water, got to get out of the water and get to land. And I think we actually spread out. It was either 50 feet or 100 feet. You'd think I would remember, but to avoid getting struck by lightning, there was a little bit of survival training. That was outdoor living. That was outward bound. I highly recommend it, actually. That was a, that was a great experience. That's it for me. I would have to say it's on my bucket list. That's one of the things I've always wanted to do is some white water rafting. Sure. Absolutely. Oh, it's a blast. I, I highly recommend it. I need to get to it soon. I'm not getting any younger. I would recommend, uh, we did this trip not too long ago, but Colorado is a great place to go, ladies and gents. It's a beautiful, beautiful state, beautiful country, obviously. But uh, check out Salida, also known as Salida. Beautiful mountain town and some great rafting in that town. That's where I went the last time with my family, and it was a ton of fun. All right, let's move on to our rating. So on a scale of one to five hunting knives, what do you give first blood? I'm giving this... A hardcore 3.5 hunting knives. I love Sylvester Stallone in this film. He looks great. He's young. He's tough. He's playing a character that's dealing with real trauma. I appreciate his performance. Brian Dennehy is a force. 
He's intimidating. And like you said, Bill, he's really convincing as this machismo jerk in this. But I don't think he's just one note. He does play some vulnerability in moments. We mentioned the scene where he's breaking down against the tree. Later on, he knows he's made some mistakes. He even goes to the bar to have a conversation with Troutman to try to express that a little bit. Anyway, you do get to the sense that he's just like he feels he's justified in his actions and does genuinely care about the officers that work for him. But Jerry Goldsmith's score is great. Love the music throughout, especially the theme. The action is outstanding. And like I said, the film presents an interesting dilemma. You're rooting for Rambo, but you don't necessarily like seeing hurting those that are coming after him because deep down, we all know we're, we're all supposed to be on the same side. However, yeah, the movie's tone is a little bit unbalanced for me as I watch this as an adult. I'm not crazy about how the character of Troutman is written, but man, this movie still moves with a total running time of just that one hour and 33 minutes. And on top of it, it makes you think, and it, it rocks as uh, the first entry into this classic franchise. 3.5 Hunting Knives for me. How about you, Bill Bent? I'm giving it four Hunting Knives. Um, nice. I really enjoyed the movie a lot going back and watching it. I thought the action scenes still play out pretty well. I thought Stallone gave a really good performance as Rambo and you certainly gave a good point about Brian Dennehy that he does have layers because I think what he thinks he's doing is the right thing for the mm -hmm. town. And it's those in power make the rules. And just unfortunately, he's just doing the wrong thing, but sees that it's right. He's not one note. He is respected by the town. He just unfortunately lets his ego get in the way. And there's a lot more into it in the book, too, because I think in the book, he's a veteran of the Korean War. I was just about to say that. I right. think, yeah, that adds to his motivation that he's not a fan of. Right, because it's considered the Forgotten War. And mm -hmm. I think there is a scene. That's what I read. Yeah, yeah, that you see his medals in there. So right. I think in the beginning when he says something about the flag. Mm-hmm. So that's where that kind of stems from. I agree with you with uh, Richard Crenna and, and the Troutman character, but I think as the movie goes along, it's better. So I think he redeems himself at the end. I get it. A lot of people don't like how it ends, but I'm, I'm fine with it. I do think it works. Yeah. It's just kind of interesting just to see the character where it kind of started. It kind of reminds me a lot in a way of lethal weapon. And you think of Mel Gibson character and how his character was in the first movie and then it becomes exaggerated in all the others i see the same thing here you know that's interesting you bring that up because i was going to say this earlier is that it made me think of mad max in the way that the first movie is pretty raw and it's very different right from the rest of the franchise yeah there are similar themes but when a lot of times when you bring up mad max i was just talking about it with my dad over christmas break saying yeah we got to show our you know my nephew road warrior which is Mad Max 2. That's Correct. actually the second film. Not a lot of people are super familiar with the original, where it all started. That's definitely one of those movies I wish fell into the 80s. For sure. All right, so I think that about wraps it up for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please take the time to follow us on your preferred streaming platform. Give us a review and rate us. If you want to learn more about our show, you can visit us at all80smoviespodcast.com. If you have any comments, questions, or recipes to share, please email us at all 80s movies podcast at gmail.com for our next episode we are celebrating the 40th anniversary of purple rain starring prince apollonia morris day and clarence williams the third we hope you can join us have an excellent week everyone
they drew first blood. Not me. Thanks for staying up with us. Good night, world. <laughs>